Portal slices one the other way. Base hit. That ties the game. Alonzo in. Finds the game for third. It's Kip Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Shea Station podcast brought to you by John Boy Media. If you're keeping count at home, we're on day 40 of the MLB lockout. It's been a great time full of loads of news and all the good stuff and a lot of uh, civil engagement between the Players Association and MLB. We're not going to talk about that too much because this is a Mets podcast, as you know. I'm Jolly Olive, a.k.a. Jack, and joining me as always is Blair Jevons, a former pitcher, just turned 23 years old. Happy birthday, Jer. Jer, how are you doing <laughs> thank today, you, man? Thank it's you. been a couple weeks since we've recorded. Stop bringing up the lockout. It makes me sad. I got him, man. If there's just no movement. It makes me sad. Let's talk some fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, it's been good for us because, like, one of the only teams that has had consistent news throughout the lockout has been the Mets just because of the rotating door of coaches and stuff like that. So we got we got coach news for you guys today and then another discussion after. The Mets have never been never been uh, short on news stories, whether good or bad. They, they, this is a, a continuous cycle of things to talk about, which is a great you know, a great source for a podcast about them. So, oh yeah, I'm grateful for that at least. There's even stuff I I left off the outline because it was just like minor news comparatively, like the Mets losing out on Juan Soto's younger brother. I don't know if you saw that yesterday. <laughs> I thought that was bigger news than 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 covered. I don't know. It's classic, like you know what's going on. What is it? Is he 16 right now? He's 15. He's like a he's kid. 15, so he'll be 16. Yeah. Obviously, that's when you can sign. Yeah. Uh, so that means he'll be in the big leagues in like mm, 18 months. Yeah, something like that. If he's like his brother, he's going to be up there like at age 17 or whatever it is. I think his mom is going to have to sign a permission slip for him to go to the big leagues. What happens if the Nationals make the playoffs? Like, does Elian Soto get to drink the champagne, or does he get like a soft drink? <laughs> no, 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 no. That was a thing with. With Juan Soto, he was 20, I think. Right. Yeah. And then we, I've had, I've had teams with guys that are sober um, and you just bring, you know, you have champagne, the the sparkling cider, like you do for kids at New Year's for the, which things not nearly as bad, by the way, as real champagne in the eyeballs. I was going to say, but you know, that's classic. Like what was the, like, if, if you were the 20 year old in the clubhouse and you had the choice to drink, like what's your go-to soft drink then? Like, what are you drinking if you win the chip? I'm sneaking beers. You're sneaking beers. I'm chugging champagne. But like, what if the cameras are on you, Jerry? I'm in the, uh, there's, there's places that you can go where the cameras aren't allowed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to put like in my whatever Gatorade bottle, I'm going to fill it up with whatever beverage I enjoy. Right. At that age, it's probably, you know, like a, what is it? You can't put a seltzer in there. No, no, they'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to like some Crown and Coke, maybe a Captain and Coke, that kind of thing. Something that's a little sweeter. I was going to say like a soda mix would probably be fine because it doesn't change up the color. Let's go back and preface this with I do not condone underage <laughs> consumption. <laughs> that should have been we the can initial cut this, Yeah, we do that. The The sodas are, aren't yet allowed to, to consume alcohol. All right. Elian, if you're listening, don't don't get any ideas. If he plays in Toronto, you know, all. You know, whatever the case may be, they're they're a little bit more liberal on their age. I think it's eighteen. Yeah, I think it's eighteen. I don't know. Who knows? I know for a fact it is uh, at oh, least oh. in Vancouver. Known Canadian Jerry Blevins. I was twenty when I signed, and we played in Canada and Vancouver. Okay, uh, we took advantage, but I digress. All right, yeah. So the Mets they lost out on Juan Soto's young brother. Supposedly, who knows? He could switch back because he hasn't signed yet, but. Chances are he probably won't. It's like a like an NCAA letter of intent. Yeah, like you can back out of this. Yeah, exactly. So you know, 
Maybe he'll listen to Shea Station, sway his mind a little bit. Who knows? I mean, I'm just saying. And maybe Juan Soto will be in Met one day anyways. I mean, it's all part of the process, guys, okay? Give him a chance to step out of his brother's shadow. It's a big shadow cast. You want to be your own man? Come to, you know, battle it out. Who knows? If the Braves can get Acuna and Albies for $3, then we can make this happen. So the Mets have a, a slew of new coaches under new manager Buck Showalter. Uh, some of them more high profile than others. Uh, we rounded out the first base coach position, third base, and then uh, most notably the hitting coach position, which kind of took the uh, baseball world by storm, being that there's no news right now. And this was kind of the hot button ticket for about a week or so. The Mets snatched away. The Yankees' new assistant hitting coach, similar to how the Yankees kind of snatched away Louis Rojas from us, they took Eric Chavez, gave him a promotion from assistant to primary hitting coach, and now he's going to be working under Buck. And for those who don't know, if you don't know, you got to study up on your Jerry Blevins history. Jerry was in Oakland Day for many years, and he got the chance to play with Eric Chavez during the uh, the beginning of his career. So I kind of want to just let you go and give some wisdom on what, what kind of guy Eric Chavez is, you know? Yeah, so Eric Chavez is a wonderful human being, like a really nice guy. Um, you know, when I first got called up, he was the big man on campus. He is, he was a six straight gold glove winner, um, you know, was the only tie over from the regime. He was the big contract. Uh, like, I hate comparing him to David Wright because it's not fair, especially with the Mets, but he really was when I was in Oakland, he was the David Wright, that image. He wasn't the you know, it's, it's just how you look at him. It was the same way that young guys look at Derek David, Wright. I don't think that's a bad comparison at all, really. Cause the A's don't have a lot of types like that. It's just kind of a tired comparison. It's the, it's the right one, but people are like, you know, compare him to DeGrom and, and, you know, Tom Seaver, yeah. you know, it just feels wrong, but he really was that. Uh, but he was also like the, one of the hardest workers uh, I've ever seen. He was the first guy because the A's were really young when I got there uh, and he was early into the field doing what he needed to do. This is like before you had proper facilities at the Coliseum, which is still not there, but this was nothing. And so he's doing his foam roller. He's in the world's smallest, you know, uh, training room, getting work done. He was just a worker and, and he was a little bit more reserved as far as you know, being very open and talkative to the younger players. He's just a quieter guy. Um, but now he's kind of uh, just a, a good human being, a, a guy that was a hard worker and really, really, really good. Um, but I think he, he brings a knowledge. He, he moved right into coaching. Um, he's a coveted mind. Like he knows what he's talking about, but also like he just, it's easy to talk because he learns from experience. You know, he won six straight gold gloves, but he also never made an all-star team. A guy of his caliber is because he was kind of a slow starter. He was a guy that kind of started out and, and that's something that the Mets want to avoid. And I think that things that you learn from experiences, uh, especially things that you did maybe that weren't great or did wrong, you're able to translate that and be like, look, guys, I had, a, I had trouble out of the gate. You know, I think this was my my issue here. We want to make sure that we jump out to an early, you know, advantage as far as hitting group goes. And a lot of times you learn from things that you didn't do well better than the things that you did well. And so that's exciting. He's a great human being, uh, a wonderful person to chat with and talk to. Very smart, very cerebral. So I think he's going to fit this coaching staff and this organization almost perfectly. 
uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I really like the uh, the point you made about him nev- never making an all-star team. I had made an all-star snubs video way, way back, about six months ago, and he's the cover of it because he's the one I couldn't believe had never made it. I think we were kind of in an age where defense wasn't as valued as it is now, and Eric Chavez, you know, it, it's surprising that he's getting hired as a hitting coach almost because of how shorthanded he was at third base. The guy was literally automatic for over half a decade. Uh, he played 17 seasons total, so he talked about experience. He's got plenty of it. And I really like him because he played 13 with the Oakland Athletics, which I feel like nobody does and probably nobody will ever do for their fore- uh, foreseeable future. You know, that's kind of a franchise where faces come and go pretty quickly. But Chavez kind of stayed, and he got a contract there, which I thought was really cool. Also a former Silver Slugger in 2002, so he has that hitting pedigree as well. Uh, I mean, he's been seen as a managerial candidate, and he's one of these guys like Aaron Boone, who's managing the Yankees right now, that kind of went from playing to coaching just like that. No real experience in between. He got his start uh, with uh, the Yankees, actually, originally, when Billy Epler was over there with Brian Cashman. Epler went to the Angels. He brought along Chavez, made him manager of the Salt Lake Bees, which is their AAA team. So that partnership has kind of been there for a while. And when the Yankees first hired Chavez, I was a little shocked that the Mets didn't have them have him on their list. And I think the Yankees you know, acted really quickly to finalize their holes and stuff like that. But it's just another case of the Mets kind of strong-arming other teams and, you know, giving guys the extra bill or the extra position to get who they want. And I think that that's really cool. I mean, I I don't think that we should turn it into like a Mets versus Yankees thing because the Mets would have done this to any team to get Eric Chavez. They want the guy who they want. That's the key. I mean, and that's what it is. You give a a young coach a chance to step up and rank. And that's, that's that's what it's all about. I think it's he was a he was destined to be a coach. I think he really used the twilight of his career um, when he had all the back issues. You know, the back surgeries. It's another David Wright thing. Yeah, yeah, that same because that's when I saw him. He had like the last full season in seven, and he was kind of hurt, and then he was never the same after that. And I really think he continued to play and had a solid career off the bench. I, he really used that time and in, in his playing career to transition. He was always in the coaching staff's ear, you know, he viewed the game from a different perspective where he was a superstar and the game was, you know, his for the taking. I think he took a step back and and really had his eyes open and his ears open to learn the nuances of the game. So there's a reason that, that he's been a name in involved in a lot of these managerial openings is because that's his future. Um, and that's exciting. Like I said, it's a really good get. I think, he'll jump at the chance to learn from Buck Showalter. He's been around uh, a well-respected mind and he's there's like a, a perfect transition from player to coach. And I think Chavez has the, the, the pedigree to a have players listen to you. You know, I think one of the issues with Hugh Quattlebaum apart from, you know, I have no idea. I don't know hitting, so I'm not going to pretend like he knows more than I knew or he doesn't he does know because that's his job, but he might not have the, the pedigree for a player, especially one that that's in the big leagues, having success to be like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, how do you know you've never been there? Eric Chavez has been there. So your first instinct is going to listen to this human. So he's already got a leg up because, you know, you have that, he has that respect garnered from being in the trenches. And so as a player, you lean to, 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 listen to have your ears open to to just hear the advice 
And from a team that kind of struggled with their identity, it's important that everybody's ears are going to be open from the jump. Yeah, I think identity and leadership were two big issues for the Mets uh, last year. And, you know, they had a lot of young coaches, a lot of first-time guys, so that's a really good point to make. The quote that I, I keep see circulating after this hire was that Aaron Boone called Eric Chavez a Swiss Army knife, that kind of coach. And I definitely agree because we mentioned before the six gold gloves. He brings a lot more to the table than just hitting advice. The Mets actually scouted him initially to be the bench coach, which is more of an all-around role and more of a player relationship role. But he finally landed in the hitting coach spot because he wanted to get that promotion, I assume. But still, Eric Chavez is going to bring so much more to the table than just you know, how to approach a plate appearance. It's going to be more about defense and drills and how to approach the everyday game because he was there for almost two decades. So, I mean, I'm really excited about the hire. He's going to have that kind of Ron Washington role where not only does he, you know, man third base, but he's also the infield coach. So Chavez brings such a wide, diverse, you know, skill set to the, to the coaching staff that he's going to be able to, like you said, have be a Swiss army knife. He's going to be the hitting guy, but he can also do everything. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a get uh, good job for, for him to keep his eyes open uh, about coaching in general. That's awesome for him to want to get back into the game and, and view it, but also tip to the Yankees for allowing this to happen. We saw some of the, you know, some of the people get denied even a promotion. Um, so it's nice to see that, that they're still out there for other folk. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we mentioned hitting and fielding and just all-around uh, ability. Eric Chavez is also a great scout. Uh, he ended his career, uh, one of his last seasons with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and when he was working with the Yankees, he was actually instrumental in the Yankees trying to get Didi Gregorius to succeed Derek Jeter. Obviously, Didi had a lot of great years with the Yankees. So Chavez, above everything else, has an eye for talent as well, which I feel like is just as valuable as all of the other things that we've mentioned. So I think the Mets really struck gold here. I do too. I, I am excited for, for Eric Chavez's future uh, as a coach. It was exciting to be able to, to learn from him as a player myself. And, you know, since 14 years ago, I imagine his knowledge of the game has expanded almost exponentially. And so it's exciting to see students of the game uh, come over to an organization that I love. So that's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Eric Chavez was not the only coaching hire that we have here. We got the uh, the corner base uh, coaching positions filled out as well. First base coach is going to be Wayne Kirby. For those who are part-time Orioles fans, you know that Wayne Kirby was, was with Buck during his tenure in Baltimore. So that's sort of a familiar face that he brought back. No surprises there because Buck kind of hinted that he planned to do that for several areas of his coaching staff. Third base coach, I'm pretty excited about uh, as a as a Mariners guy, kind of, because Joey Cora is something of a Mariners legend. He's going to take over at third base. Uh, Mets actually got him from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I actually didn't think this one was going to come together because Joey Cora has kind of been there for a while, and it seems pretty comfortable in that position. But uh, Mets, uh, Buckshaw Walter must have said something to him to get him to come over. So now the Mets round out those two positions as well. You mentioned the Ron Washington comparison as bef uh, before. Joey Cora gives me a very similar vibe there. Another guy with a lot of playing experience and is known for sort of great uh, player relationships and stuff like that. He's been coaching for a while now. So while Eric Chavez was one of the newer guys sort of getting his first taste of major league level coaching, these are two guys that have been doing it for quite a while. And I think having the mix of both is going to be really beneficial to the players. Yeah, I think uh, I think Terry Collins had a hand in Joey Cora as well, because I, I did some TV work with him last night, which is always a pleasure. 
And in between commercial breaks, we were chatting just a little bit about what's going on. And he had mentioned Joey Cora's name and, and how exciting he was for that hire. And so if a guy, a baseball mind, a, a baseball lifer like Terry uh, endorses you, you know, you're doing some good stuff. So absolutely. And I know that Terry was a big fan of the Buck hire as well. So I'm sure he's, you know, kind of getting some happy feet right now with all the names that are coming through. <laughs> that's right. Uh, he's, he's, you know, Terry's a Met. I think that's, he'll forever be known as a Met. He'd had a wonderful career leading up to it, but you know, he lives in Port St. Lucie. Uh, he stay, he sticks around the team. I think he, he truly loves the organization. And so he wants nothing but the best for him. And if he's endorsing you, that's a big leg up. So uh, you're going to, I'm going to go into it being excited. I've never crossed paths with Joey Cora, so I don't know much about him. Uh, he's obviously got a family history of being a, a baseball family, so that's exciting. But uh, if TC says you're a good guy, I'm going to I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you know Alex Cora was once a Met too. I'm just saying, you know, way back on those bad Mets teams from the early 2010s. So I mean, you know, there's a connection there. Maybe we could get him too. Who knows? No, nah, I think he's comfortable <laughs> right now. That, I mean, how cool would that be to be in the in the same industry as your brother? I mean, you should just ask Juan Soto. He just took his brother back. So, I mean. Uh, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll ask him a few things. So that just leaves uh, one open coach position for the Mets. That would be the bench coach that we mentioned before. To all uh, my fellow Dave Jouse fans, you know, we got to tip our cap. I really loved how he did in that Cincinnati and Pittsburgh series, really held the team together. He will not be coming back because Buck, I assume, wants his own guy. That makes a lot of sense, but I'll miss Jousey a lot. Um, apparently, the name is all but confirmed. Andy Martino tweeted out earlier, just before we started the show, that the Mets have a name. They're not revealing it to the public till they finalize bullpen coaches and infield coaches and stuff like that. Uh, so we can only speculate, really. The one thing we do know is that it's not going to be Ryan Flaherty, who is also another former Oriole under Buck Showalter. He's currently working with the San Diego Padres, and they denied his opportunity to interview for the job. Uh, another one that I saw yesterday that I tagged you in on Twitter because I thought, oh, what a dream this would have been, is uh, current Giants uh, bench coach Andrew Bailey. He, got, he had the uh, opportunity to interview, but he was also blocked by the Giants. That's another guy you used to play with. I'm sure he was terrific in his time there as well. I'll give a, just a quick synopsis on Andrew Bailey, rookie of the year with the A's, great playing career, ended in um, just a, a slew of weird injuries. But towards the end of his career, when he had a second, like a resurgence, he signed with the Angels with Billy Epler. He got hurt again, and Billy brought him to the to the front office. It was like immediately like, hey, you can come in and you can coach, you can do whatever you want. And so Bailey learned both. He was the bullpen coach, but he also was in the front office. So he was like pulling double duty, learning as much as he can. And I think they saw that uh, Billy saw a talent in that work ethic. And then obviously he's been nothing but successful in San Francisco as a key part of that um, brain trust that is, you know, Gabe Kapler and Farhan Zahidi's coaching staff. But wherever, whatever Andrew Bailey does, I know he just moved from he's a Jersey Philly guy. So him moving to the West Coast and not coming back, there's a whole, you know, uprooting your family because he's got a wife and kids uh, issue there. But, um, you know, it's a he'll be great wherever he goes. I wish him nothing but the best, but um, would have been kind of cool to get him over oh, as definitely. a bench coach. Former pitcher, we could be a bench coach. That's ideal for me. Oh, yeah, for sure. Of course. And, you know, we talk about uprooting families and uh, blocked interviews and stuff, and it's just kind of, it's making me think back to the, the GM search that almost seems like it was six months ago, even though it was just back in November. 
and how well things have turned out with Billy Epler. I really, I feel like we forget to kind of commend him for the job he's doing, but he's pulling in all these people that he ha- has had connections with in the past, and he's all con- he's convincing them all to come over to the Mets. Eric Chavez obviously is the biggest one there. I'm sure he wanted to, you know, sway Andrew Bailey as well. But Billy Epler, you know, now surrounded with a lot of baseball minds and, you know, plenty of funding from Steve Cohen. He's done a really admirable job so far. So I just want to, you know, give a quick shout out to Billy. The tip of the cap. I'm with you. He's done. He's done wondrous. He wasn't the first choice. So, I mean, it's been turned no, out really nice. But he's also, you know, he clearly learned from some of the mistakes that he's had in the past. And that's what you see. He's being aggressive. He's being smart. He's staying out of the spotlight, which is kind of cool. He's just doing the work and he's not trying to, you know, to put that that smile on TV and, and be a celebrity, which is kind of what you want to see. A guy that that has the charisma when he's on the camera and, and in front of the media, he can say what needs to be said. But also he just like, look, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to do the work and, and bring people over that I think can help our organization. Uh, it's refreshing. Such a far cry from Brody Van Wagenen, who just loved the camera, loved giving quotes, loved talking about the players that he brought in. It's just been a completely different thing, and it's been really refreshing. Obviously, you don't get as much news in a lockout. I'm trying not to say the word because I know it upsets you. but It's a trigger word yeah, for me. That's sorry, okay. I'll, it I'll, is I'll what it is, something man. Else. We'll have a code word for it or something. You know, we'll figure it out. I'll just I'll just mute and cuss and then unmute and then we'll be good. You know, we cuss. It's a family show. show. It's a family show <laughs> with cussing. You know, I try. I, I do my best not to cuss kind of in general. I do anyway. Like I'm not a prude, but I have two kids that are like parrots right now at three and a half and two mm-hmm. that'll say anything. So I have like, you know, a three and a half year old to be like, oh, dad, oh. you can't say that. And I'm like, sorry, kid, you're right. You know. I got to go sit in time out. Do they ever take after dad? What's that? Do they ever repeat you? Do they take after dad? Yeah, they do. I mean, that's what I mean. They're, they're little parents. They say the things that we say. And he thinks it's funny because when the kid uses a cuss word in context, it's, there's nothing better to, than a kid to say. <laughs> he'll be like, uh, he'll like stub his toe and be like, damn it. And I, I, I'm coming out of a tiny little angel of a kid. It's hilarious. And so you laugh and then they're like, damn it, damn it, damn it. And so that's the problem I would have because I would laugh at it and then just reinforce it. It's so it. funny. <laughs> it's funny. So it, it is what it is. You, you try not to, uh, you try not to repeat it. So if you nip it in the bud and just not cuss, it's better. Yeah, that's going to be a I'll little bit. I'll get, yeah, I'll get it out here. I'll get it out here. Get it out here. Well, we got to take a break uh, from children cussing for just a second because we got to tell you guys about the John Boy Media merch store. If you're watching on YouTube, you already know that me and Jerry are decked out today. I got my usual black John Boy Media tee. He's got his Shea Station shirt with our beautiful logo in the center. And I also wanted to highlight, because, you know, people have been sleeping on it, the Shea Station mug with the orange stripes at the top and bottom and the beautiful logo in the center. It's been a wonder for me. I really love this mug. If you're not, like, a big coffee in the morning, it's perfect for, like, a medium coffee size. Just saying. You're talking about orange. my face, like this mug, and yeah, then my mug shot, or the about. actual the coffee mug. By the way, the stash, looking good today. Got to say, it's it's feeling <laughs> highlighted. You know? I'm inspired. I'm actually, I, I, it's it's on purpose. I'm I'm showing it off. So maybe I can get that the mug up here and yeah, get yeah. Some, some extra coffee flavor on this stash. I just like to keep my wife guessing. Yeah, exactly. You got to keep her on her toes. I get that totally. Yeah. Well, you can't buy uh, you can't buy Jerry Blevins' mustache at the store. You can buy the mug and our very shirts as well as some other Shea Station merch. Best of all, we got a discount code for you guys. If you're a Shea Station listener and you're a diehard and you're dedicated, 
If you use code SHEA, S-H-E-A, at checkout, you can get 10% off your entire order. We're past holiday season, but if you just want to get some nice comfy clothes for the winter, there's plenty of comfy stuff on the website. I just got my John Boy Media hoodie and uh, my new beanie, which is a maroon, one of my favorite colors. Really comfy. I'm going to get, so I, when I was in studio, I forgot to take some, my wife oh. wanted some hoodies. Mm. I forgot. So I have to order, and I'm going to get that mug. I'm going to throw that in there. Get that uh, SHEA. Mm. checkout code s-h-e-a in case you didn't know how it was spelled but yeah 10% off you should know how it's spelled if you can't spell it you don't deserve the discount if you're for in this that podcast time, you should know it's lit guy it's on the sign guys it's right it's there. on my shirt it's on his shirt when you look at my shirt is it backwards no it's 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 perfectly fine it's reflective okay good that's i should know that because i literally can read what's behind you and what's on your shirt right i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna sit this next one out gotcha gotcha no i think i think we nailed that gotcha. one honestly i think we nailed <laughs> good all right, so we're at the halfway point of our show now, and you know there's not too much news uh, to report, so we're going to do some a little bit of speculating because that's what Mets fans love to do when they see shiny toys in the store that they want. And you know we get a lot of shiny toys these days, so it's fun to talk about it. So the Mets, I mean, if you're if you're looking at their lineup right now, it's solid. I think it's better than it was last year. Obviously, you're missing a guy like Michael Conforto in the middle there, and that kind of brings about the need to maybe find a middle of the lineup bat. Whether it's right-handed or left-handed, you want some pop in the middle of the lineup because especially towards the end of the season, the Mets lineup was coming across pretty anemic and in need of some pop in the middle of it. Their slugging numbers were down, especially in their home games. So I think that's probably next on the agenda, and we've seen some rumors circulating of the Mets scouting some hitters that are currently in the free agent market. I've highlighted the the, uh, the three that I think are the most likely to come in the blue and orange. Um in some capacity, some with uh, better benefits than others, some with higher prices than ours, others. And I just wanted for us to have a discussion on which one we think is the best option. All three are good. All three would benefit the team in various ways. But uh, the three names that I have listed here are Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, and Nelson Cruz. And we're going to dive into each one. The most high profile, though, I feel like is Chris Bryant because he has the highest price tag. He plays the most positions and he has the most teams after his services right now, I feel like. So, as you know, what's what's your initial thoughts on a Chris Bryant deal for the Mets? Um, It's going to be very, very expensive. Yeah. I mean, the guy the guy held out. He waited to sign for this purpose of reaching free agency. He could have signed a very lucrative deal extension for multiple times and this is going to be a long one and it's going to be an expensive one and so for me i i'm nervous because he has never really reached back to that potential that he did in his mvp year and his what is his second year yeah 2016 yeah 2016 and he's he hasn't gotten close to that um he's still very good uh another red flag for me was andrew baggerly of the atlantic uh, the athletic when he was with San Francisco after the season, he was asked, he kind of came out and said, you know, the giants were unimpressed. Didn't like his swing. Um, He's backtracked a little bit thinking he said that things are taken out of context, but the giants are smart, man. I've been in that, that clubhouse. These guys know what they're doing. They're looking for things. So if they hesitate, even if it was out of context, even if it wasn't true, the fact that he was able to say that, puts a red flag up. And when you're going to play, if you're, you're going to play, pay a couple hundred million or at least a hundred million, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to err on the side of caution here because we have so much tied up in other guys that, you know, I'll go for a shorter term deal. So I, I think he's a great player. I think he's going to be great. I just think his price tag is probably a little too high at the jump for us to be 
hunting him. Mm. I'm I'm in a similar boat right now. There are a lot of things to like about Chris Bryant, though, so I feel like we should speak on those as well. He has the rookie of the year, the MVP season. Obviously, he's been consistent, not really hurt for the last uh, for pretty much the entirety of his career. He's entering his age thirty season, so it is a matter of are you going to get Chris Bryant in this new prime, or are you going to get the Chris Bryant that we've seen? In the last three years, the Chris Bryant that we saw last year was not a bad player by any means. 25 home runs. He played in 144 games, had a 124 OPS plus. That's a solid number there. And a big thing for the Mets. Very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to say that if I get him, I'm going to be upset. He's going to make your baseball team better for years to come. Uh, He is very good at baseball. Just want to make sure. Yeah, no, we we speak volumes to that as well. And the positional versatility is something I want to note as well. Primary third baseman and left fielder, but also plays right, center, and first. The defense has slowed down in recent years for those who are on baseball savant and understand outs above average, the range factor. He has a negative 10, which is not a great score by any means, one of the worst in his career from last season. So that's something he will need to work on or it just maybe play less positions as a whole going forward. I think that's, to me, I think it's I think it's uh, bouncing around. I think some of the, the issues in Chicago, I think, underlied kind of, where they were. Um, I think San Francisco transition where he played mostly left field and third base, I think was better. Um, but ultimately uh, it's hard to play completely different positions and be ex- exceptional like he was. And so I think he's still very good. and can play multiple positions. I would just stick him at third base. Yeah. I was going to say his best outs above average number was at third base last season. That is obviously his most comfortable position. I think uh, he's he's just a better version of Jeff McNeil as far as versatility goes. I think Jeff McNeil played outfield and because he needed to, because that's what the the Mets needed. It's not pretty out there. Bryant can play. I just don't think he he never looks like he wants to be out there to me. And so I think if you're with, I think if you're willing to give him that much money, you let him play third base and you let him be happy and be like, hey man, do you want to? Are you okay with? playing some occasional left field or DH. And if he's comfortable with it, or he's saying, look, I'll, I'll do it. If he, if he groans, I'm like, good, you're just third baseman. That's fine. Perfect. So, I mean, yeah, if you're going to give this guy the projected six to seven year deal with the annual value of 23 and a half million dollars, you know, that's coming out to about $200 million around the 180 to 200 mark. And, you know, you mentioned before the Mets are tied up in a lot of large contracts right now. And it kind of seems like we can get whoever we want, but at the end of the day, you know, you're going to need payroll for next year, for next year's class, in case things maybe don't go our way this season. And it's not going to fold over exponentially. You have to conserve eventually. You will, the wallet will fall out. There will be a bottom to it eventually. Uh, One last thing I wanted to note about KB is the postseason experience, which is a thing with a lot of these guys that I've listed. He's played in the postseason in six of his seven seasons. The Mets have a lineup full of guys that don't have that experience right now, 44 games worth of playoffs. So, I mean, that's an element that you can bring to the table. Chris Bryant had a really, really bad end to the 2021 season and then really showed out in the NLDS against the Los Angeles Dodgers. So that is a factor in it as well. I don't think the Mets are going to pay top dollar just for that alone. But KB brings a lot to the table. I know a lot of Mets fans in our poll that we posted yesterday on the Shea Station Twitter uh, really want Chris Bryant in the blue and orange. That was the overwhelming favorite there. But I'm kind of in your boat. It's another one of these gargantuan contracts. It kind of ties you up. It solidifies your infield for the foreseeable future, which is nice. But at the same time, you know, what Chris Bryant are you going to get? I don't think you're going to get the 2016 MVP Chris Bryant. I think that that was sort of his peak. And, you know, the player that he is right now is still a very good one. But is it worth $24 million a year for the foreseeable future? That's a big question. 
for for me a lot of it is is flexibility in your in your uh in your lineup on your roster if we lock him up not only does that you know you got mark vientos um Beatty behind him but you also have ronnie mauricio who is locked up because of lindor you can move a guy like that to third to second but but you start eliminating position and you're tied up with with tens and hundreds of millions of dollars you can't do anything and so it really locks you up payroll flexibility and roster flexibility so i I really like chris bryan as a player i just don't see the big fit for him uh to put on the mets uniform yeah i mean i that's something i didn't even have written here that i feel like we should definitely mention we've talked a lot about mets prospects before i'm very high on brett Beatty. i feel like he's going to be a fantastic player and if you sign Chris Bryant to the seven-year deal, then the left side of your infield is settled for the foreseeable future. It opens the door to trades, sure, but at the same time, you want to give these guys a crack. The Mets have a very top-heavy farm system that's really talented. Mark Vientos is one of the guys that's going to be ready soon. I see him more as like a DH because of his fielding woes. But at the same time, you know, if you can't get him those at-bats, what are you going to do with him? And what are you going to do with the $200 million that's tied up in Chris Bryant now? So that's sort of like, you know. Yep. That's a whole nother That's case. a that's a GM, that's a Billy Epler Epler big picture Sandy Alderson kind of like, all right, where are we at? We're not in a sell must win this year kind of thing. So But uh the next option that we have here is one that I think would be the best if you can't get a Michael Conforto back, which I don't think we will. I think we're a little bit past that. And that's uh that's Kyle Schwarber, the guy that has absolutely destroyed the Mets uh through every point in his career. So, you know, that's one way to solve that problem. Just give him money and make him play for your team. Uh he's coming <laughs> off a really, really good year at the plate. Obviously, if you're familiar with Schwarber, you know that he is a defensive liability. He would be your DH in this case. Worst case, he would be your left fielder if the DH doesn't come through. But 32 home runs last year, uh, a 554 slugging percentage and a 148 OPS plus. That's 24 points higher than Chris Bryant from last year. And the re- the reason why I'm higher on Schwarber, I think, than I am Chris Bryant is a- it's two reasons, really. One is that it's obviously a more affordable deal. We'll get into the numbers after. But the Mets are sorely missing power from the left-hand side of the plate. They have Pete Alonso on the right-hand side and a few other bats in there like Mark Canna and Eddie Escobar. But Kyle Schwarber is a true pull left-handed power bat that I feel like the Mets haven't seen in a while. And your options outside of Schwarber, if you don't go after him, are Jeff McNeil, who was sort of sapped of power last year. And we, we both kind of want him to step back from that. And then Robinson Cano. And what we've seen from him in the Winter League over in the Dominican is that his power is kind of sapped as well. He's becoming sort of an on-base guy, a contact guy. So I feel like this is really a beneficial bat to have in the middle of your lineup to protect a guy like Pete Alonso or a guy like Francisco Lindor. And he's coming off one of his best seasons. Coming off his best season? I think it's not even close. I mean, his other OPS plus uh, was his rookie year when he only played in 69 games in 15 when they won the World Series. He hurt his knee and then made that epic comeback at the end, which is one of the craziest postseason moments in baseball history. Um but he's at he's peaking now. You know, it, I don't think it's a flash in the pan either. I don't think he'll be able to repeat, you know, just the craziness with how good he was, but it's possible. But he's found his comfort level as a player. He will not play the field. He cannot play the field. It's not a it's not even a question for me. You know, you put you put uh, McNeil out there and it's kind of a liability. You put Dom Smith out there and you're just like, all right, these guys can do it. Kyle Schwarber cannot play the field. You are praying that the DH comes to the National League if you sign this guy. 
and I hate to do it, but we always end up agreeing. I think this is the best fit. I think this is easily the best fit. You talked about it. For me, it's the, I need, you need power from the left side. You know, ideally you sign a guy for a few years because you never want a you know, long-term DH. Like it just doesn't, it just eliminates flexibility out of your team to give a young guy at bats, to give an older guy some, some time off. But, you know, for a three, four year run, if he signs a similar Scherzer style deal, you know, he's young. He's only going into his, what, how old is he going to be this Age year? Age 29 season. Yep. Age 29 season. That's crazy. Uh, I think he's only going to get better at, and power guys like him usually age well, you know, I think he's got great potential. Um, and again, it, he fits what the Mets need way more than Chris Bryant because of, of the length of the, the right-handed bat majorly. But I think Kyle Schwarber is the way to go. Not to mention how crazy he was against the Mets. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> it was bizarre. I wouldn't have pitched it's to him. It's definitely a factor. You and I talked about it. What are we doing trying to throw it like to this guy? What, who are you trying to prove? Just put him on base. So if we can just get him in our uniform and let him pretend like he's hitting against the Mets when he wears the, the, the home jerseys, I think that's the key. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, so he's entering the age 29 season. He's had injury woes in the past, but most of those injuries have come from him playing the field because he's just, he's not a great fielder. He's a yes, negative he, 41 he, It looks uncomfortable average. out there. Yeah, and he has one of the worst totals. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he looks uncomfortable. He, the thing is, like, he tries really hard and he put the work in. You can see that he's done the work. It just isn't in the cards. You know what I mean? But he's so good that they're like, we need you to play. We need your bat in the lineup we'll find a spot for you. And so, you know, with the nationals, they had Ryan Zimmerman locked up at, at DH and, and he had to play the field. And so you see some of the, the downfalls of, of having your DH locked up. But I think for a guy of this caliber with a team that just really does need that left-handed power bat, uh, I think it's worth it. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a risk because obviously we have no proof that the DH is coming through. Although, you know, most of the, of the rumors say that this will be part of the new deal. I think it's a bet you take because of how good Kyle Schwarber was last season. And, you know, the projected value of $12.3 million is a, a lot less than Chris Bryant. And, you know, the deal that you're going to give him would probably be half the number of years as well. So it's less of a long-term risk in that similar vein. And I think, you know, if like the Mets are operating on a win-now basis, and I think that means that they're not going to care that Robinson Cano isn't going to play that much. I don't think they're going to feel the need to give him at-bats just because he's getting a large annual value because there's our, there's a ton of guys on this team that are getting paid tens of million dollars to play next year. Robinson Cano is not the only one. You might as well just make your lineup better in that way. I don't think you're going to find a trade suitor for Cano. So if he's going to just sit on the bench, then that's what he's going to do. I don't know. I think they're, I think they're going to give Cano the benefit of the doubt and let him have some ABs early. And then if it, if he's not hot, He's going to lose at bats. I think we saw a little bit of in the 2020 season with Cespedes where the Mets kind of let him hit a little bit and it was slow start. And they were like, look, we're going to take at bats away from you. I think that's what the, how they'll treat Robbie Cano. So it's, it's a big, what if, and you know, we mentioned before that Schwarber destroys the Mets. How about this slash line last year, or actually, no, this is his whole career. Not just last year. Last year was crazy enough though. He's a 343 batter with a 765 slugging percentage against the Mets in his career. And the uh, 1.188 OPS, yes, you heard that number right, uh, is the second highest 
all time against the New York Mets, only to Stan Musial of the uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, who also torched the Mets in his time. So, I mean, that's 100 plate appearances minimum. So Kyle Schwarber has been torching the Mets for years. And I'm a big advocate of if a guy's beating you up, just give him a bag and get him on your team so he can't <laughs> do it anymore, you know? I mean, and it's not like it's a limited amount of – of ABs because he was in, he's been in the national league his whole career until Boston. Uh, he's, he's played quite a few games and anytime, you know, I think Stan usual might be the most underrated player, like the most forgotten. Oh yeah. Argue. He's got an argument to be the greatest player of all time that nobody talks about. But uh, anytime you're in a conversation with, with him, uh, you're doing something right. It's pretty good company. <laughs> I do say so myself. So we're big Schwarber advocates. I remember you had put Schwarber on your like dream lineup for next year episode. Yeah, that he's, we did he's, way back. he's because I saw it potential because he's he's going to help everybody in the lineup. His even if he's not, you know, the, the same player that he was last year, even if he's a, just in his average, which is still really good and worth it he makes the entire lineup better because he protects all those right-handed hitters that come in front and behind him because you have to pitch to him. Yep. Absolutely. So that's where our, our money lies, but the Mets have, do have another option here that I think is pretty interesting. If we're talking about a big slugging bat in the middle of the lineup to protect your Alonzo and protect your Lindor. And that's Nelson Cruz. Who's sort of been the DH for hire for a few years now, really. Uh, he had another great season last year, sort of, uh, you know, slept on a little bit because he went from Minnesota to Tampa Bay, uh, but 32 home runs, a 130 OPS plus, and he's just been slugging for years and years. Uh, only one season in the last eight years where he didn't get at least 520 plate appearances, so he's a DH that's going to stay healthy, that's good, and zero seasons in the last eight years with an OPS plus under 130. So you're paying for pretty much a surefire thing here. Obviously, another guy that cannot play the field, hasn't played the field in many years, but if you're banking on this full-time DH coming through for the National League, Nelson Cruz is another lucrative option here that would be even less money than Kyle Schorber is. Yeah, I think this is a this is if you're going right-handed, I think this is the way to go. Um because it's going to be a one-year deal. Yep. And he's 41 years old. So you're 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 at a risk here. So he's been so good. I'm looking at his his baseball reference page. So uh, he came in in 05. He's it's unbelievable. So since 2014, which is the first year he left Texas where he was already 32 years old. So from age 33, here is his home run totals, 40, 44, 43, 39, 37, 41. That's 2019 in 2020 in a shortened season, he hit 16. And then last year splitting time, he hit 32. Jeez. in 140 games like the guy is still doing it at a very high level uh, at an advanced age and I think he, he knows he's very smart I played against him for a long time he's a very smart hitter smart person uh, a really good clubhouse guy and I think if you bring him in he's not only going to be good for your team he's going to teach some of the younger guys how to get better what to look for, things that you're peaking. Because at 41, at 42, your eye-hand coordination, your bat speed is down. You're, you're using your brain. You're figuring out tendencies. You're seeing a pitcher do something. You're, you're smarter. You're outsmarting the, the game as well. And so I think that would be a key component to bring guys in. And you talked about postseason experience. He's got lots of it. Um, and so that, that experience will help out too. And he's got experience – 
um, with Buck Showalter too, right? They were both in Baltimore together. And so there's a, there's just a connection there. Uh, and anytime you, you bring a guy that's that old, that much older, you want them to be open to kind of embracing your other teammates and sharing knowledge. And he's been nothing but that. Um, he has a PED pop, which is a red flag for me. It came against, you know, I was playing against him in the years that he did that in, in Texas. Um, but he's bounced back and he's shown that he's, he's recovered from that and he's done great things. Um, and so he's also got that kind of experience. So I like him. I like him very much. If we can't get Schwarber or even Conforto to come back, I think this is the route we need to go. Yeah. I was going to say Schwarber definitely has the largest market. I think of any DH right now, I think a lot of teams are in on him, including the nationals who are in a rebuilding mode. The Red Sox are obviously going to be in on him and teams that haven't had him before will be uh, barking up that tree. So Nelson Cruz is sort of just like a gun for hire. I, I sort of see him as like a baseball mercenary in my mind because any team can go get him really, especially a with show this gun. Yeah, kind of, you know, just a guy that you bring in to put in the middle of the lineup, hit 30 home runs and protect your cleanup hitter pretty much. Well, you, you, you see the, the type of teams that signed him in the last few years. It was teams that think that they're going to play for a world series. They're like, this is a guy that can put us over the edge. He was in Minnesota, uh, when they, you know, they had a, a pretty rough year, but they moved on from him, Tampa, like Boston, like teams that, that think they're going to win. They add him because they understand what he brings to the table. Right. He was with the Seattle Mariners when they had that really high payroll on the Cano contract. He was with Bucks Orioles in 2014. That was the farthest they got in the playoffs. Nelson Cruz is in the playoffs pretty much every year. I feel like it's a shock when we don't see him there. And he has such a pedigree at this point that I think even though he's 41, I don't think that matters because every year we're like, this will be the end of Nelson Cruz. I think this is finally the year where it ends. And we've been saying that for the past five years. So I think he's here to stay. He's just one of these guys, like a big poppy type. Like he really is in that echelon of hitter now. I really do think. So I think this is not a bad route for the Mets. I think that you, you it's another risky one because you got to bank on the DH. But I think we all know the DH is coming at this point. So if you don't want to spend, you know, the big dollar on Chris Bryant, which both of us, neither of us don't want to do that. Uh, I think Nelson Cruz and Kyle Schwarber both are great options, but I still lean Schwarber just because of the left-handed power bat. I think you get him for a little bit longer, and he is younger, so I, there's less risk there as well for me. But both are great options. What's Nelly Cruz's uh, estimated average salary so here? He just for history, he signed a two-year deal in 2019, then a one-year in 2021. Uh, with all of those averaged out, he makes about $13 million a year. So his projected value right now is about $14 because he's coming off a pretty good year. But still, that is chump change for what the Mets are spending right now. Yeah, I agree. And and, and on a one-year deal to to kind of solidify that and, and give your team some flexibility, I think that's it's chump change. Yeah, for sure. $14 million chump change. You can't see my sarcasm and, and deadpan on uh, the podcast, but it's there. But I'm just, I'm so used to it now. I'm like desensitized from it, you know? It's but that's, 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 the, that's the time we live in. You know, when you have billionaires and teams worth $3 billion, this is what the market is, so. So they have a lineup of, of Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, Alonzo, and then that, that fifth hole is really what we're discussing here. And I think that Cruz and Schwarber are your best options there. And again, I just want to reiterate, if we do end up going KB for that six or seven year deal, we're going to be happy because the Mets are signing Chris Bryant. That's a huge development. I just think that you can get this whole field for a little bit less and with a little bit more productivity if you get that DH. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Like if we're <laughs> if we're talking, you know, we're trying to make the greatest team we can, Chris Bryant would fit this. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is the the he makes your team that much better. But I think as far as looking at it a little bit from the GM, president of baseball ops, I think the the Kyle Schwarber is the way to go. Uh, or a Nelly Cruz route. So we, we are in agreement here, Jolly, like often we are. Good stuff. So uh, to round out our episode, I guess, because I just got a notification because I have tweet notifications for Jeff Passan, uh, MLB and the MLBPA plan to hold a bargaining session on Thursday. Uh, so they're expected to make a core economics proposal at the session, which would be the first between the sides since the league locked out the players on December 2nd. So maybe we'll get this Mets signing sooner than we think. Who knows? Yeah, let's hope. If you know, I, I gotta turn on my Twitter notifications. But what I do here is I mute so I don't bother you. But you can do your thing because you're the host. Now, anything anything Jeff Passon says is is good stuff. I think. Uh, let's just hope it doesn't. You know, we don't see bloody lips when they're walking out of this meeting because hopefully uh, we get some some movement for the first time towards a deal, and we can no longer use the L word as a negative. Never want to hear it again. But yeah, that is a uh, hopefully we'll, we'll press forward and hopefully, you know, this meeting will last longer than I think seven minutes was the last one or something like that. So hopefully they're a little bit closer, if at all. I'm with you. Yeah. All right, guys. So that's that's pretty much all we got for you today on our, our Shea Station episode. Our first in two weeks. It was nice to get back in the swing of things. Hopefully it was. We'll... I missed you. Yeah, man. I missed you, too. Of course. I missed the audience. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, we missed all you guys at home as well. It's not just about me and Jerry. You beat me up in our drafts. And I, I, did. I had to go, you know, I had to go lick my wounds. I did. I still stick by my team. I think it's closer than that. But uh, yeah, you, 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 you did it. You won. I really thought you would win the hitters draft. I thought it was obviously a closer pull than the pitchers draft, but they, I'm surprised they picked me. I'm not going to lie. Well, you, you, in our pitchers draft, I think my bullpen is superior. Oh, and yeah. it goes to show you that the, the, the bullpen is still underappreciated. Yeah, man. It's where your allegiances lie. I get it. I know. That's fine. That's okay. But uh, it's it's good to be back. Uh, I feel recovered, and I'm happy for the new year. So we're good. <laughs> happy New Year to you, yeah, by the guys. Way. We forgot to mention that. Is happy that still new a year. thing? I can't. I don't like saying it, but it's the first time I've seen you. It's January 11th, so I feel like we can't really anymore. But you know, we haven't no. said it on the show. Oh, we, it was a while ago. No, you can't say it like into people like you see your UPS delivery guys say Happy New Year. That's like, wait, what? He should give you an eye roll. He should take back your mail. I feel like. If you do that, You're like, yeah, I'm going to keep this I'm gonna now. Keep this. I'm going to open this, this Amazon box is mine. You're right. <laughs> All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode. We'll see you next week. I'm Jolly. He's Jerry. Take care. Let's do it. Let's go, Mets. Call strike three. A career high 15 strikeouts for Jacob DeGrom. Alonzo to his left.